0: What a scream, what a screamer!
1: push Arsenal all the way to extra time before being reminded of the rule that you actually can't eliminate Arsenal from the Arsenal Invitational. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Spithy on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. How many times can I say Arsenal in one intro? Uh, well, I've done it again, but it is the Arsenal Invitational, sometimes known as the FA Cup. Uh, it is our trophy, and Newcastle were reminded of that. Granted, 120 minutes it took for them to get their reminder, but got it. They did nonetheless. And I uh, just want to say thank you for everyone being here. As a reminder, um, we are uh, trying our best to to uh, do what ArtsBlog does only, you know, more ham-fistedly, uh, that includes two things. One is um, supporting Arsenal businesses. So we have partnered with Arsenal Editor, uh, a great designer. Uh, Nils is, is wonderful, great Arsenal fan, and he has a business creating Arsenal designs, posters, shirts, mugs, things of that nature. And um, you can actually shop for his stuff right on our website if you want to, arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash shop, or his. Uh, the, the, the choice is yours, as they say in English. Um, but the other thing we're trying to do is... is Emulate what makes the Arscast special, which is not the football uh, analysis or discussion, but of course the pleasant waffle between participants at the beginning of the podcast. So I'm going to endeavor to do that today. And I listened to the Arscast, Tim. So I think <laughs> I've got this down. Tim is on Twitter, Stoberto. Hello, Tim.
2: Hello there.
1: Tim, I ate some food
2: today. <laughs> Did you eat
1: any food today?
2: I, I did. I have I, um, I, a very popular franchise chocolate bar or candy bar, as as you would say, mm. stateside.
1: Was it of any particular color that was interesting or would you like to uh, indulge me in uh, banter about the food you consumed? No, thank you. Okay, well, I appreciate your cooperation in this matter. Uh, Clive is on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello. Clive, would you like to submit... Any information regarding food you have uh, ingested or perhaps beverages you have consumed?
3: Nope, the list will be too long. And um, I'm, I'm much more interested in the football.
1: Well, I, I thank maybe, you for, maybe. For, for this pleasant banter. Uh, I, too, have consumed food and That's beverages. Okay. okay, so I think that that was pretty close, right, guys? Like, it feels like like we're nailing it. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I, well, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, Clive, I'm going to start with you. Look, uh, it is the FA Cup and Rotation was to be expected. I mean, I I am really fine for the most part in the third round of the FA Cup with the manager picking any side he wants uh, with an eye towards protecting players that needed protection. And to be fair, uh, I I think I was just about okay with Aubameyang starting. I'm not sure about Tierney. I think if Arteta knew that they were going to go 120 minutes, he might have done it a little differently. Um, He probably didn't want to put that many minutes into their legs. Obviously, the Martinelli injury was unfortunate, but it gives us a chance to look at at a, a heavily rotated side with a lot of quality in it, maybe or maybe not. And I think that was really what we wanted to see. And ultimately, I think we got our answer on a lot of players. But for me, the story of the match early on has to be about William Clive. And I hate to just dive into that right away. But the reason I want to is you've got Elneny and Willick in central midfield. Willick's a young player, sort of scuffling for form. I don't think he's a central midfielder. Um, he'd much rather be playing the role that William was given, I think. El is a safe, conservative passer who's not going to drive you forward. You have a guy in Cedric playing fullback who's never going to give you the, the, the kind of dynamism and, and attacking capabilities that, like a Hector Bellerin does. You have Reese Nelson, a guy in the team who, not playing a lot lately, just back into the team and didn't look like he was really in form. You have basically a low touch player at striker in Obamyang, so he's not going to contribute much. So this is it. This is Willian. On a big contract, brought in to be able to add some things between the lines. You know, we talked about it in preseason. No, he's not going to be right wing. That's Pepe's spot. Well, it was Pepe's spot in this game. And William got to play that 10-roll again. And given that there was a, a, a dearth of, I think, connective tissue in the side, given that there was a dearth of really dynamic talent that can get on the ball and do something, I think there was a lot of opportunity here for Willian to take that burden. And rather than take it, he looked like he wanted nothing to do with it. So... You know, do you think that that is a fair characterization and that his failure to really impose himself on this game is a big reason why things were so stale early on?
3: Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, seven changes made for this game. So when you make seven changes, we, we know the names and we all immediately expect them to reach their top level. But it's hard, right? Because they haven't played, haven't got any rhythm, haven't got any minutes. And so they find it tough. And players like William, when we... When we assess them, we tend to assess them in how they arrived in the room, and his re- his recent performances have made us concerned. Issues around the deal have made us concerned. his wages, etc. So we judge him accordingly, right? So he's had some indifferent performances out. Why? Maybe some not as bad as people have said, but we still expect a little bit more, right? Because he paid for the enemy. Always seen it do well for them. Why isn't he doing well for us? Is he taking the piss out of us? Basically by taking the money and, and not doing much. So we got concerns about him. Um I do feel with William, one of his better performances was the Sheffield United game when he moved into ten. And so when I saw this team, I thought, okay, there's a couple of players here for me, they're on trial, big trial. Joe Willock was one playing a double pivot and William playing in the ten. Because if you're the coach now, you got you've got to be looking at solutions to try to add depth to your squad we got a lone player in um, Sobias playing a double pivot. We've got potential issues playing what week it is with our Nenny and Shaka. We've got our major signing, and we've only played two and a half, three games, wherever it is. So, in that midfield four, we need some work from Joe Willick. We need something else from Smith Rowe in the 10. Big day for William. But we mentioned the other week about Smith Rowe. We sort of said, well, I said that basically what I liked about him is that he gives the team what they require. And so if he needs to go and drop into the double pivot and make slide tackles in his box, he does that well. If he needs to get out with Tierney, he does that. If he needs to get out with Bellerin, he does that. If he needs to get around Lacazette, he does that. He provides exits for Shaka, and he provides sorry, exits for O'Nenny. Willian now, I think, plays in there with a different mindset. He looks to try to get on the ball and just keep the ball moving. But I don't, well, I know he's not. He's not as hungry to get on the ball. He doesn't have the same energy as the enthusiasm and body language that says, give the ball to me, I'm going to save you. He doesn't do that. He tends to go into areas which I feel he's more comfortable in. So he starts off in a central role, and immediately wants to go and get the ball on the outside. Because why? He spent most of his life on the outside. So as Tim has told us many, many times, most of his life on the right-hand side. And I always thought it was a bit, bit more of a balance to that. But he's obviously happier, starting in the middle, not having a responsibility, I'm going to shoot off out here and just try to create overloads outside. Whether that was coaching, whether that was him, but I don't think his body language told me that he was going to save today for us in the middle of that pitch. It was a bad day for William because at 32, I'm not expecting you to do 40 yard dockets on the outside of the pitch anymore. If we're in charge, we've got teams pinned back, you can play wide. But this role is important. You're in the interior you got to be the brain. you got to be the connector. I don't think he showed enough energy and I don't think he showed enough intent to connect us in more than just the areas he feels comfortable with. And that tells me from a player psychology so point of view, you can't be entrusted with that role because the team needs more from you. And so I think it's a bad day for him.
1: Yeah. And, and Tim, I, I want to get your thoughts on it as well. I, I mean, I don't want to make this a kick Willian podcast. There's a lot of other interesting things to talk about here, performances that I think are worthy of discussion. But you know, the reason I framed it the way I did is it is a team that he picked that, aside from Pepe, really is crying out for someone to move the ball forward, to connect the lines, to to create the opportunities. And you know, Aubameyang is a star player, but he's not going to touch the ball a lot. Um, I thought Pepe actually did a lot of good work that we can come to freeing himself from double teams and, and putting balls in over the top that maybe could have been better handled. But otherwise, you know, when you look at that midfield behind him of Willick and Elneny, you know there's going to be responsibility falling to Willian, and you, you this is a really mm. good opportunity for him to sort of start to rewrite the narrative around him because there is an open space available for guy who replaces Smith-Rowe as a rotational option, given that Smith-Rowe cannot play you know, every game the rest of the season. So it feels like a missed opportunity for a player whose entire Arsenal career looks like a missed opportunity to this point.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I I said this on the instant reaction pod, so I won't go over it too much. But this was the first game I really felt like Willian's confidence just looked low. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think there are definitely elements to which th- this team just doesn't suit him tactically, um, which really begs questions of the recruitment. Um, you know, we've already talked to death about why did you give a thirty-two-year-old three years when you've given thirty-one-year-old a three years? Um, but but actually, you know, I I'm kind of I can't really understand why they thought Willian would really fit in. Like when we signed him, I thought, oh, okay, Arteta must just really want, you know, we kind of, not sure if complained is the right word, but we talked about Pepe last season in that kind of five lanes of attack and how he was too far over to the touchline where he really wants to be more of an inside forward. And so when we bought Willian, I thought, oh, okay, that that's probably because um, Arteta wants someone on the right who stays near the touchline, and and that guy is Willian. Like if if you if you want to bring in someone who does that, that's Willian. Um, Why they've brought him in to now do something completely different? And to be honest, something that suits Pepe much more. They seem to be playing him as as this kind of wandering part over on the right. And I'm looking at it, and I'm just thinking, so like. That 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 suits Pepe much more than Willian. So like you were asking Pepe to do like Chelsea Willian's job last season, and now you're asking Willian to do a job that would suit Pepe. I don't, like I really don't get it. I I mm. can't putting aside the age and the like the length of the contract. I I just can't understand the way we've used willian i just don't understand it at all i think it's really really poor um and it speaks very poorly to everyone that signed off on this move because i just don't understand why that they've got him doing this stuff that he's never ever done before um in his career um you know when i when i saw that kind of front three and i kind of thought well okay that looks like william's going to be number 10 i, I didn't like it um, to be honest, and, and I think it says something about how Willian's stock has fallen, and quite rightly it's has fallen, because... If you're if you're playing in the you know the second string the cup team and you're still not in your position, that kind of says something. I mean, it was possibly worthwhile as an experiment just because we're not exactly blessed with with number tens right um, at the moment. But I I still I I really struggle to see why they think Willian is that player. He, he's not in my view. Um, and so like I I have had an element of sympathy with him about that. Um, and I, I kind of a big part of me thinks this, this isn't really his fault. This is the club's fault um, on many levels, on the footballing level and the financial level. There have been games where I've looked at him and thought, like, come on, like you're, you're not putting it in enough. But to be honest, I, I try, I, I did like a little experiment with myself today. And I was thinking picture William sprinting and, and it's weird. This sounds like a really weird thing to say. I know he does it. I know he he like' Can't picture what it looks like, like even on'm thinking. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know he does it like because for Chelsea and for Brazil, he'd always been renowned as a very hard worker, gets back, helps his fullback. But you know what I mean? I can't picture Willian sprinting. He he always looks like he's he's kind of um, both when he's playing well and when he's not playing well. And maybe it counts against him as well. People's impression of his form when he's playing well. It just it looks like he's got a swagger. And mm. when he's not playing well, it looks like he's running through treacle. Um, and, and it's, it's really weird, you know, I just tried to put that picture in my head, and I was like, not even in an Arsenal shirt, think of, you know, all the games you watched him for Brazil and Chelsea, uh, imagine him sprinting, and I just can't see it, and so I, I, you know, that that's not an excuse, I'm not trying to make an excuse for him, but do you know what I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think, I think he is a player who generally gets through a lot of work, he just doesn't necessarily look like he is all of the time, um, but there have been games where I've thought like, come on like you're you're not you're not doing enough here you're not doing enough to dig yourself out of a hole but this was the first game where i thought no this guy's confidence is just low like he was he was just messing up stuff that he doesn't usually mess up just like one touch passes um you know trapping the ball Mm -hmm. you know his his shoulders look very very low (laughs) at the moment and i think he knows that uh, well, he he has to know he's not playing well. He's he's not he's not stupid. He understands perfectly well that he's not playing well, and you know if he didn't understand it before, he definitely understands now with Saka playing on the right um, and Martinelli coming back in. He understands this team is passing him by, um, but but I guess but the thing is, you know, you have limited patience with the 32-year-old, and again, whether that's his fault or the club's. You do you do not get a thirty-two-year-old who has been in the Premier League for seven years, um, because yeah. you expect them to have loads of adaption time. Um, it it looks to me like um, it's not so much a an adaption case here. I just think this team just doesn't suit him. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. And and we're seeing. Can I,
3: can, I, can I add a little bit on this one? Please, yeah. I think, I think the. Also, we we spoke to him in some reaction with teamed that the problem statement when he was signed. Mm-hmm. We didn't have Martinelli and Smith Rowe was a, a youth guy coming back from Huddersfield. Right? So there was room for another player in that three behind the striker, wherever he played. So the problem statement was there for him. But he's this is a player that perplexes me a little bit because I've never looked at him too closely, but never had anything but I you know, good things to say about him previously. So well, statistically I'm not, you may know more than me, but I read somewhere about a week or so ago that he's had the most complete last third passes for Arsenal. Now, no, you, this is where statistics and what your eyes are telling you, you can tell you two different things. I can see why Arteta potentially wants to try in there because he's quite secure. He may not want to try Pepe in there because you lose the ball in centre of the pitch. Although I, I would love to see Pepe play in there. Lose the ball in centre of the pitch, that gives you problems on transition, so he wants a secure player in there. And we not get caught on the ball. And so statistically he looks quite good. But actually, with my eyes, he looks terrible. Right? So I think it's one of those things where you're trying as a coach, you feel that everybody is fixable. Mm. Nobody's beyond your skill set. Whenever I look at players, I think I can fix them all. Right? That's why yeah. so and he is one of those you think, well, I must get something out of him. Let me try to put him into areas where he can do well. So I can see why it's happened. I can't see why we signed him reasonably fully. To get the money, we signed him out, and the deal was another, another podcast. But there's something about this player that's not quite adding up. The numbers might say he's better than what he's actually showing us on the pitch.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I, look, I think the, the issue, and I want to move on from William, but I think the issue is just if this wasn't going to work, if, if this way didn't work, you know, as a sort of 10 where... He could be given a decent amount of responsibility. The opposition wasn't particularly stiff. Like, there were opportunities for him here. And you don't love to go into the question of, like, is he trying? You know, I don't love the the trying narrative because you just don't know. But it certainly doesn't look like a guy who is burning to impress. And this is the danger, I think, when you sign a 32-year-old from Chelsea when you're a Europa League team. You know... He's not playing at the absolute top of the table. He's not playing on the biggest stages. You know, he's a Brazilian national team player who's won it all seen it all been there, done that, and now he's he's stepping down as painful it is to say that at the end of his career. he's not playing for his next contract. He's been given big money, and it does look a lot like an annuity for him, you know, just like a nice, comfortable landing place and like I don't know how a player motivates himself so much of elite sport is players motivating themselves to achieve things at the absolute highest level and I don't know what his motivation to achieve things is right now and he doesn't look like a player who's trying now look it could also just be that he's too old that he's not good enough that you know he's starting to decline physically I have to say you guys watching Andy Carroll I found myself thinking gosh that old guy's still around like it's painful like he's still playing shouldn't he be retired and like he's younger than Willian. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, this is a guy who's really at the tail end of it in a very serious way. And um, it does pose a problem for us, obviously. I mean, at a time when we think Mesut Ozil's wages are coming off the books, I, I do think it is interesting to look at how we're going to make use of this because I don't want to go into this conversation now. There'll be international breaks and stuff where we can hypothesize about all, all kinds of scary things. But I do, I am trying to look into the future and say, Based on this showing and the emergence of Smith Rowe and, you know, having tried him in a few places now, where is the future of this player at Arsenal who's really just arrived? So that'll be one to keep track of. But, well, Clive, I'll stay with you for a second. I mean, I think one of the other things that doesn't help, th- this game, to me, broke down a lot to just like Tierney on the left basically being the playmaker and Pepe on the right basically trying to do things on his own because there were so few other people that could get involved and link the play and, and make it happen. And central midfield was obviously a really big part of that. We saw later when Shaka came on how impactful he was just with tempo and directness you know, pushing the ball forward. Um, with Elneny, we know what we have. I don't think that we need to put the boot into Elneny. It just, to me, he, he is a player that we know really, really, really well. Very conservative, very safe, does not... ...give you the ability to to push the ball forward and, and put teams under threat. Joe Willick is a player that I think would rather have had Willian's role. He didn't have it. This was a game that I think he really struggled in. As we start to see the elite level that some youngsters are hitting... ...a Martinelli, a Saka, a Smith-Rowe... Do we have to really start to make decisions about players like a Willick and like an Because right now rumors are that you know we're turning down bids from West Ham that he's going to stay that he's in our plans. We don't want to move him on. Now that can just be negotiating. But like at some point, some of these young players aren't going to make it. We have to make a decision. So I'm curious if you started to figure some things out about Willick now and about you know m- maybe if his future lies a little bit lower down the table.
3: Um, I'm not sure, but he does need to learn to, and recognize what he is at the moment. I think he's caught between a number of positions, right? So they tried him in double pivot. I don't think he worked very well. I don't think he's comfortable in space. We spoke about this the other day. I think if you watch the videos of him closely now from a deeper position, when he's in space on the angle to receive the ball, he runs through it. He wants to go. Th- he, almost, he, almost, he almost plays the pass plus one. So he wants someone else to get it to then give it to him. But when you're playing a double pivot, you're the next pass mate, so stand still. So he has to work that out. He hasn't got that worked out. When he plays number 10, it's a 10, it's a breakaway 10. I'm gonna break to get near center forwards, break past them, get into areas where I can affect the play. So he can run little angles off a triangle into the half space on the right-hand side primarily, but sometimes on the left, and he goes straight for the penalty spot when we progress the ball in wide areas. That's quite simple for him. Little triangle, I can use my athleticism to get to this spot to go and do stuff. All right, So, great. When you're playing in the first team at Premier League level, you've got to have more to your game, more layers, more angles, more metronomic play. You've got to have, you know, if you watch him run, I promise you, watch him run, he never looks over his shoulders. Never looks over his shoulders. He looks at the prize where i got to get to when I get there. I'll do something quite clever, right? So he just needs to play and have minutes, but also needs to define himself, right? So now you could say, well, is that going to be an answer? Not so sure anymore, not so sure. Mm. I look at these young players, and like I said to before, I don't think they're the problem at the club, whether they're developed or not. They're not the problem. They're not the biggest problem. The fact we've got a 20-year-old, 21-year-old that's doing quite well, played over 50 appearances for the first team, playing on One's doing okay, um, not quite shining out like the other two youngsters, we've got three youngsters that we have, but you're doing fine. We need to develop, you know, there are lots of players like that around the league. There are players like that are in the championship. There's a player at West Brom I mentioned before, Connor Gallagher, playing in centre midfield, running around for West Brom, doing fine, having good days, having bad days. There's Todd, Todd campwell at Norwich, similar type player, Running around loose, learning his game, having good days and bad days. Joe Willis, one of those, right? So maybe he'll end up at Norwich. Maybe he will. But at this moment in time, he's not developing as quickly as we'd like. But it doesn't mean it won't happen for him because the development curves are different for each player. Similar and Ketia as well, good days, bad days. Doesn't look so good against our own form, Lacazette. But he quite rightly took him out last season, you know, on form energy and pressing. That's what we need at that moment in time. So it can fluctuate. I'm loath to give up. I'm loathe to give up on young British players, homegrown players that we have contracted. And the squad rules are saying keep hold of these guys. But I do think it's important that we speed their development with loans and maybe they could and if he said he's not going to let it go, but we look I'd like to see him go somewhere. I'd like to see him go somewhere and test himself. Sometimes people can get too comfortable. Go somewhere, test yourself. I don't think any reason why Mate and Niles couldn't have played in Titan fields at the weekend. We learn more about him. I think we've learned a lot about Willow I think there's a lot of chances in those areas. And I can't see the jump happening every time you play for Arsenal. Go somewhere, learn, find it tough, find out about yourself, see if you can unlock some more layers in your game. Okay?
1: Yeah, I just, selling is rarely the wrong move. yeah. And not to get all the way down this cul-de-sac, but like, we, we have this pathological fear of moving players on and it's almost never the wrong move. Like you say, oh, what about Serge Nabry? Well, Serge Nabry we didn't want to sell. We didn't have a choice at that point. Like he had us dead to rights and Bayern Munich were behind the whole thing. The machinations were there. The player knew what was going on. We didn't have a choice. But like selling Oxlade-Chamberlain wasn't wrong. Selling Alex Owebe wasn't wrong, right? I mean, selling these players is just not wrong. What's wrong is losing players with no value or letting their value erode. And, you know, if people are willing to give you good money for your young players who don't look like they're quite at the level, then take it. Because, you you know, the next ones will come along. And is Balogun gone? I mean, I you know, Tim, I think this is this is where these things, you know, start to materialize. Like, you know, j- just like we talk about, should Joe Willick, you know, move on? Should Eddie and Kedya move on? Well, Balogun's in a position where, and Balogun may not be very good either, but we, we've lost any leverage there, any ability to really monetize him, whether it's, you know, as a part of our team or as a as an asset to sell on. Were you surprised not to see him in the squad and do you take that as a a pretty clear indicator of what's going to happen with that situation?
2: Um I'll answer the latter point first. I mean, yes, I do. Um I think I said on the pod on Friday that um the the selection around that would, would probably tell you a lot. Um and the fact that Balogun wasn't in the squad and Enketio was, I think that tells you the way that things are going to go down, um, and have probably already gone down. So there's that, and, and Arteta's also said fairly unequivocally, and I, I don't take this as a as a bargaining position per se that he said that inketia won't go this month. So that that seems that like the only way I think uh, well not the only way like unless there was a ridiculous offer made, but um I I think the only way I think had inketia gone this month, you probably would have said well yeah that there's at least a chance with Balogun. Um, my, my own view is um, that that shouldn't be a consideration, um, particularly given the length of Vinketia's contract that is left. I, th- I still think that's quite a short-termist decision um, to to kind of keep him on. I, I mean, I guess maybe it's tied to the Martinelli thing um, and we'll see how long he's out injured for. But but still, I, I still kind of think... If if there's a good offer there, just do it. Like you know, um, I I think I think we've put ourselves in a position now, where we've uh, made so many poor calls around this that we kind of have to, um, uh, you know, a bit like the like we did it with Emmy Martinez, right? Like it was we kind of didn't want to, but we had to, and a lot of that was about raising money, and that's because we just keep getting this wrong. And so when we do get offers like that, we kind of have to take them. And I I think it's the same here, Um, you know, and and with with regards to like the likes of Willock and Nelson, um, I I think they should. I mean, again, it depends on what kind of offers are out there. I think they should both um, go somewhere somewhere. in January, and that might be again that will be entirely dependent on the offers. If someone puts up good money, we should sell, if not, we should certainly look at loaning them. Um, you know, largely, I think, to build their value a little mm. bit. Um, you know, Reese Nelson, I think, is coming up 50 games for Arsenal, Willock has passed that. Like, we we kind of we know what's there. Um, we're we're quite stacked in the wide attacking positions. Because I don't think Willian's going anywhere, whether we like it or not. Like Nelson, you know, Nelson was called up at the last minute for this game, and the fact again that he he couldn't get in, you know, the cup team without mm. an injury kind of says where he is in the pecking order. So that 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 kind of tells its own story, really. Um, I I don't think I don't get the impression that Arteta would be reluctant um, at all at any kind of offer to come in for Reese Nelson. I think he's made quite clear. Um, with how you know how much or well how little he rates Reece Nelson which which I'm I'm kind of fine with to be honest that I don't think it would be like a massive error or anything to let him go I kind of think again it depends on the offers but I kind of think with these guys you know some of them had like good games in the early rounds of the cup Willock had a really good Europa League group stage there's your value right there um, but then again, this January market will be impacted by the fact that um, fans are not coming back into stadiums this season. Like um, with the way the COVID situation is in the UK, that, that is not going to happen um, for the rest of the season. So that that has an impact on clubs' bottom lines. And most of them are going to have to give, dish out refunds um, in May because a lot of them have kind of taken some season ticket down payments that they're probably going to have to give back. And therefore, that, that will have an impact, I think, on the January market as well. So it, it might not entirely be in Arsenal's hands. And I, I, like with Nketiah, I don't know how much truth there is in the West Ham interest. Um, I mean, if West Ham are sniffing around him, we should absolutely be trying to cultivate that interest, not least because West Ham have a long and storied history of doing stupid things and spending stupid amounts of money on, striker, on strikers. Um, and not least because they, they bought Sebastian Haller and they've taken a massive hit on him already mm. uh, to get him out the door in January. And that, you know, that implies a sense of desperation. And that once again, they've, you know, spent a stupid amount of money on a striker who isn't a bad striker, but one they just can't seem to use. So, um, you know, uh I, I feel like Arsenal and West Ham is like that Spider Man meme at the moment, like both of us looking <laughs> at each, at each thing, other, yeah. going like like you're a stupid club as well. <laughs> you, you look like you'll spend twenty five million on, on this guy. Yeah, <laughs> look at sure, this ass on. On in. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And
2: and and you guys can have one of our one of our uh, unwanted, over overpaid players. But um so I, I, I think that does say something about Balogun, yes. Um, I do wonder if the Martinelli injury is governing uh the 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 situation with Inketia. Um like I, I don't honestly see us being in a position where we absolutely have to use Inketia when we've got a Bamiang, Lacazette, Martinelli. Um and you know, Willian's played false nine this season, so you know, yay. Um <laughs> and look but ba- Balogun is still there till the end of the season. Um, it's not like you can't he, use him. Yeah,
1: if you exactly. even if he's off. Yeah, I think the idea that you're going to turn down real money, the kind of money that you'd be happy to get for Eddie and Kedia because maybe he's a third choice striker that you'll need in the fourth round of the FA Cup, like too cautious. Yeah, too cautious. And
3: and too, no, I don't think they would turn it down, twice because um,
1: I, I don't yeah, I'm not saying they would. I'm just saying I don't think quite, that would be a reason to.
3: <laughs> yeah, his contract is a year to go in the summer. So if they get a good offer of him in January. Um they're going to take it. No matter what he says, they're going to take it. He's not going to say, "Well, he could go this month." Arteta has a real affection
1: months. for him, though. I mean, he kept him at the club last season instead of letting him go out on loan. Like he, sometimes these things matter. I mean, it's clear Arteta doesn't rate Incendià the way I mean uh, Nelson the way he rates Incendià, and we might be scratching our head at that. I know I am, but like that matters, doesn't
3: it? Yeah, it does, matter. I, I think he's fine. I just think, well, Arsenal not talking to him now about a new contract, as far as I'm aware, right? So. I watched Brighton play in the FA Cup yesterday. Boy, they could do even Katie at the centre-forward. Mm. You know, they really could. So could West Ham. They could do them. There are teams that, you know, I bet you he's going to have people knocking his door down. Teams that need to readjust their position at the table. He's got a good rep, you know. So, um, I, let's see what happens. I don't think that story's dead yet. I think, you know, he could he could end up going somewhere. If not now, definitely in the summer. Because unless i also going to open contract talks, I don't think so. So, um. What's his base on that one, in my opinion?
1: Yeah, ultimately, pulling your hair out about any of these guys going is probably silly because the odds that any of these guys we've had a pretty good look at are suddenly going to burst out and become world beaters in the near future. It's just, it's really unlikely. I mean, I I don't think there are a lot of examples of us having players leave the club and go on to be excellent having not been excellent for us. Um, You know, so I'm not, at least not in the recent past. So I'm I'm not going to pull my hair out about that. I certainly think we're in a position where we need to, bring in cash for players that are not taking us to the level we want to go and, and not be shy about that. So l- let's talk about a player we did spend some cash on, though, um, Clive, and, and who we're still scratching our heads about a little bit, and that's Nicola Pepe. I regarded this as a pretty good Pepe game. Um, he had a lot of nearly moments. First of all, he had a ball over the top, an in-swinger. He kind of beats a man. He puts it over the top. spots a really good Nelson run. I was harsh on Nelson initially i thought he did really poorly with it it takes a hard bounce off the ground and comes up a little higher which makes it harder to control but he put two balls into mm-hmm. nelson like that that were really good he had one drive to the the byline where he beats a man he gets into the box and you could just see him wanted on his left foot so bad he would not hit it with his right wouldn't and I, I do think that that's a big issue for for pepe because when he drives to the end line he can't get the crossing he has to cut it back to his left he had the one move where he he beat two defenders he could have been could have been a foul but he stays on his feet does the hard part gets to the top of the box and hits that left-footed curler that normally is his bread and butter but he didn't quite catch it right a lot of nearly moments for him but I think given that his service was a, a right a right back who we don't particularly regard as being very good in Cedric a number 10 who was out to lunch central midfielders who weren't really progressing the ball, and a striker who's not going to do the kind of one-two stuff that, that a gazette might do, you know, an Obamian guy who wants to yeah. run into the space. I felt that he and Tierney really had a lot of responsibility to just manufacture the attacks. And overall, yeah. I thought he did fine. It's so... It, is, it does have to be frustrating for Pepe in that when the players come in who could maybe unlock his potential, he doesn't really get to play with them, um, you know, in like yeah. a Smith Row, for example. So did you regard this the way I did as sort of an encouraging Pepe game, or are you more inclined to see the, the parts of the day that didn't materialize for him?
3: Yeah, he must be softening because I'm glad you said that um, because I, I, he's one of the players that I really like, not because he's perfect because he's imperfect you know and he's he's an imperfect talent and another another one of those broken soldiers i'd love to try to fix right because the things he does well are not teachable you know they're just really not you know and some of the easy stuff is what he needs to do and i think what sack has shown us is the simplicity of what he does on that side he just receives the ball not gets his body shape right knocks it off runs in behind Sometimes he goes for a dribble, but it's a dribble in a straight line. He goes round the corner, bang, knocks it off. Gets it back, shifts position. It's quite simplistic. I think Pepe sometimes feels he's got to beat three people. And if I was coaching, I'd just say, first first three minutes, no more than two touches. 15 minutes, get yourself into the game. Two touch, one touch. If you do more than two touches, I'll sort of murder you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What I look for is things like, in the first few minutes of this game, he went straight in behind. That was really encouraging. That means we were trying to push them back. And I like to see when he goes in behind, I think that's good because then you create space to get the ball and the dribble. So vary what you do on the ball. Keep it simple. There's a story about Manchester United many, many years ago. A fellow used to say no more than one or two touches. Only person can have more than that is Ryan Giggs. The only one, everyone else more than two touches, get the ball in. And um, Gary Neville got murdered by Roy Keane once for having two touches before he cleared it. Simplicity drives certainty of movement. People then move, when they know the ball's coming. I think with Pepe sometimes, the ball goes in and it stops too long. People stop moving. With Saka, strangely enough, there's a simplicity and a fluidity about when the ball goes in. It comes through him quickly and we can move from there. The reason why I wasn't sure about Wilfred Zaha, though I liked him, we watch him play, he stops the ball, does a dance, gets on the stage, doesn't win the ball's coming out. Right. So Pepe, I always felt he was less than Zaha with that. But now we've got a close look at him. I think he just needs to slow, simplify his game, do the easy stuff, then ping away, get yourself on the move, then you're a danger. But I'm glad he said that because I thought him and Yang showed real signs of returning. Mm -hmm. And I tweeted out in the game, Aubameyang's coming back. He scored 20 minutes later, but you can see by his movement that he's coming back. Forget the execution. His movement was good. Sammy Pepe. His movement was good. His execution was very much the same, but the potential to get the shots, the crosses, will missed miss the header? That was an assist for him. Clear assist. He missed the header, but there's signs there. So I was quite pleased. I'm glad you were in it.
1: Yeah, I, I was, and I'm. I think you know we we have gone a long way around the bend from expecting him and demanding him to play in a way that justifies his price tag to now looking for slivers of hope. I get that. And I tweeted my thoughts, which are basically um, in- incomprehensible nonsense, but I-, I will tell you what they are, um, which is basically that every time I watch him, I feel like I'm watching a player who is one game away from breaking out into a massive talent. Like, you, you see it. You see that he can beat a man. You see that he can deliver a quality ball. You see that he can strike the ball well the The ability to execute the moves at the speed and the timing and the level and the and the accuracy, the precision that's needed at that level, it's just not quite there. But you feel like it could be. I want. I want to feel like it could be. So I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remain optimistic that there's a there's a possibility there. And and if Martinelli is injured for more than ten seconds, which I hope he is not, and Obamyang has to move back to the left, and Lacazette keeps his space up front, which I I think he is sort of regained as the the first choice option for the number 9, Pepe has a path to play on the right if Saka can't play every game. Um, now, you, you know, Saka might play every game, so Pepe may not have an option, but I, I would like to see him get a chance to play on the right with Smith Rowe in there and Lacazette in there and players he can combine off a little bit more, Hector Bellerin, just players that will set him up for a little bit more success, because I still think there's a benefit if we can coax out a real performance from him and get and get his Arsenal career back on track. Whatever you know, limited chance there may be for that to happen. Um, you know, if you want to get back on track, though, I I think the one thing look you can you can do it by getting Pepe going. You can do it by you know, moving out players that have had their chance and bringing in new players. But like sometimes the way to get back on track is just to refresh, is to renew, is to shave your privates. And while that wasn't my best segue, I've done it and I'm going to commit to it. Um, shave your privates. That's it. That's the message. Just just shave them. Uh, I, I shaved mine. You shave yours. That, That's it. We're all agreeing. We're all just going to shave our privates. And so then you say, well, how am I going to do that? Well, you're not going to do it with some rusty razor that's been sitting in your shower for three months. I mean, here's the funny thing, right? About these these sponsorship things, this, this advertisement for this wonderful product called the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped. I realize that it is an awkward as hell thing for me to be talking about. Like, I get that. But I, I have to level with you. This is a thing we do. Like, we do this. We all do it. We, we shave some part of our body. Not all of us. Fair. Okay, fine. You know, if you're a furry or whatever, then no. But so the, so the question is, like, what are you going to use? And then it comes down to, like, you're going to use a razor that's not purpose-built for it. You're going to use some trimmer that doesn't work in the shower, so you're trying to do it dry, and then, like, there's hair everywhere, or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, and, you know, you just, then then you step on it, and then you, you look like a hobbit from the movies because you got hair on your feet, and anyway... This is going around the bend a little bit, like a lot of my points do, but I think what I'm saying is I'm talking about something that we all do. So get a product that does it really well. Like that's it, because you're gonna do it. It's the lawnmower 3.0. The ceramic blade is awesome. The battery life is insanely long. The stand it sits in is really like cool. It looks very science fictiony, and it charges up, and you know, then you can bring it in the shower. It's wet, dry, so it's just in the place you need it to be when you need it there, right? Not going to cut, get cut or nicked. It has a guard. So you can do eyebrows. You can do, you know, chest. You can do whatever part of you needs to be refreshed and renewed. But the most important thing is that, you know, it's something you're going to do. So you might as well do it well. And you can go to manscaped.com. Uh, promo code Arsenal Vision. You'll get 20% off and free shipping. And uh, no, this is not a Kit Kat sponsorship. You know, I realize candy is important. I realize the Cast they like their candy. They like their lays, They like their salty. They like their sweet. But you know what? What could be sweeter than when this pandemic is over to run into the street and take our pants off and show each other our, our beautiful shaved privates? I look forward to that moment. We could do it on Zoom, but I'd rather do it in person. So we'll look forward to that. Manscaped.com. Promo code Arsenal Vision. 20% off of free shipping. I mean, there it is. That's the message. Message received, hopefully. I hope you will do it. Please do. Manscaped.com. Promo code Arsenal Vision. All right, that is more than enough uh, of that. Clive, has that enough of that?
3: Oh, please,
1: yes, enough. (laughs) Enough of that. Okay, Tim, is that enough of that? Absolutely. Absolutely enough of that. Putting that in my notes. Enough of that. Okay, good. So, uh, Tim, you know, obviously, like, this is a game with two very clear stories, right? There's a story of how it started, where it didn't go particularly great, um, and then it did start to go great. But before we come on to the people that changed the game, and I I think there are some very clear performances that, that... change the game and they're the players that have been really performing for us over the last couple of weeks and, and changing our, our fortunes generally but the Burn Leno thing is weird to me somehow I, I don't know how somehow it seems like Burn Leno is in this weird position where people are always wanting some other guy to be the goalkeeper whether that's Emmy Emmy Martinez who granted looked great at the end of last season and has started the season well or it's let's go get David Rea in the, the, the transfer window whatever the case may be but all he's done since arriving is mostly, not universally, but mostly, been fantastic. And he saves this cup tie for us with not just yep. good goalkeeping, but brave goalkeeping. And I thought he did well on the the set pieces with a real threat there in, in Andy Carroll. Carroll stung his palms a few times. He heard it, uh, held it pretty well. And then he makes the absolutely critical intervention that saves the cup tie, and he shows real bravery uh, to to make sure that he's able to get it away. Look, no keeper's going to go through a season without making an error, but I am... I'm a Burn Leno fan. I certainly think does your keeper have to be the best in the world to win things? I don't think so. You'd like that. But if it's a position that's well handled by a guy who's doing a good job, for me, you just check it off the list and move on. So I I certainly regard Leno in that category. So were you were you impressed by I mean how could you not be impressed by Leno? But what what are your thoughts about him in this game in general?
2: Yeah, he he made um you know he makes a massive intervention there in in the last minute, and it's it's like you say it's not so much the first save from Carroll, although his his positioning makes that a, a really really difficult shot for Carroll anyway because he's covering most of the goal, but it's the second one. Um, where you know you can really easily break an arm or an elbow doing that and that was yeah that, that was incredibly brave and it was it was an excellent intervention and 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 i think i think you're right like leno just occupies this weird sweet spot where i don't think anyone thinks he's the problem um by any means um i i still don't think he quite dominates his area well enough um, in terms of um, aerial balls in particular i also still don't think he's brilliant playing out from the back i think he's okay
1: his long passing is uh, not good
2: yeah yeah but, like he, you know. he does that like the sand wedge kind yep, of thing exactly. and, it, and it doesn't yeah. yeah it doesn't doesn't always work so uh, like those are things he could sharpen up on I, like i think his shot stopping is is excellent um it like really really is um you remember that that double save at spurs in his first season you know his his, his reflexes are really sharp um i i kind of i think he's really good at kind of coming off of his line and making himself really big with that kind of starfish movement and all of that like i i think all of all of his fundamentals on the, on those are really really good but i i think you're right i think um I, I think i think it it does him down to say he hasn't been a problem like he has been better than that he's been good um i'd probably stop slightly short of saying outstanding or excellent. um, No, I, you know, I, I wouldn't call anyone an idiot for saying that, put it that way. um, and, and I guess, I think the thing you'd say about Leno as well is that he's, he's actually a good age for a goalkeeper. What is he like? 27, 28. Like he, there's, there's a reasonable expectation that he will get better um, as well. And it, and it was interesting. Um, Like, I I, do, I don't know what his contract situation is and that's, that's He's 28, by the way.
1: He'll be 29 in March.
2: So I mean, but a good, good goalkeeper yeah. age. Certainly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's still like a decent age for for a goalkeeper, and and you know, you're you're still, you know, a goalkeeper's peak is very much like early, maybe even mid 30s.
1: Emmy, as
2: for by comparison, was is like seven months younger. You know, same, yeah, same difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, precisely. So again, he's he's another one of that like the few players in the squad who's in like a nice age bracket, who's not at the beginning, of, right at the beginning or right at the end. Um, and it's yeah, it, it it will be quite interesting to see what happens with his contract, um, whether Arsenal are, are trying to offer him a new one or. You know, we know that Arsenal. I mean, Arteta said that Arsenal are trying to get another goalkeeper, and he, I, I think we've had a bit of clarity on the uh, Renarsen thing. That uh, essentially he was always intended to be the third goalkeeper, not the second goalkeeper, and that he was a bit more of a Matt Macy replacement than than a Martinez replacement. And Arteta wants to sort that in this window, and and you know that makes a bit more sense. I guess I still think the Renarsen signing is, is still a, a, it like, it always looked very rushed to me. It was like, fuck, we need a goalkeeper and the goalkeeper like, and the goalkeeping coach. like, well, i worked with this guy before. Is he any good? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how long have we got left of the window one week? Yes. Yes. He's great. Go and get him. You know, like it always mm-hmm. felt a bit rushed to me. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens with, with Leno's contracts. And, you know, we're hearing, um, that Rob Holding has signed a new deal as well. And he's, you know, he's in that age bracket as well of of like 25, where he's probably still got some upward trajectory um, to go. And we don't, we like, we don't have to, like, you don't have to make a definitive call on those players, I think. I think on your young players, like on your Willocks and Nelsons and Enkettiers, when they're like 21, yeah, you, you kind of start to have to make a call. Or if you're going to give someone their last big contract when they're 29, 30, or in goalkeeping terms a little bit older, then yeah, you have to make a call. Like, is this guy going to decline? But, um, but yeah, like I, I thought, I thought Leno was excellent in this game. Not you know, not just on on that save. I thought, I, I think one of the things he's beginning to develop that i quite like is you know like ideally if if arsenal were better like the sort of goalkeeper a top team needs is the sort of goalkeeper that can only be might only be engaged once or twice a game but makes those big interventions when they're necessary um i think most goalkeepers look good when they're getting peppered with shots and in this game leno didn't have an awful lot to do um, but then, in the last minute, we needed a really big moment for, from him, and we got it. And and that, to me, is is, is a really, really encouraging sign. And um, I I'm probably still in the camp that eventually I'd I'd like someone maybe of a slightly higher pedigree, but I'm not I'm not like rushing Leno out the door. And I'm which I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear. Um, and, and and I'm I'm open to the idea that he can get better.
1: Yeah, yeah, I am too, and I, I do think that he will be delighted to hear that you have decided to let him stay at the club. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, kudos, kudos to him for, for getting the the <laughs> Tim Stillman endorsement, which God knows I, I'm desperate for myself. Um, well, look, I, I think there's one, can we do this quickly, Clive, because I think it deserves it. But I don't think it's the bulk of the podcast by any means, which is already uh, 50 minutes in the making. Um, Pablo Marie, I. Google. I think this is a case of two things being true. It being true that he has played pretty well recently and was pretty good in this game in particular. And also true that maybe people are running away a little bit with the praise for the performances he's putting in. Uh, there were still a couple of moments here that are a little bit worrying. Um you know, they did have two point blank chances. I you know, and I'm not putting that all on Marie. I think he was good in the air. I think he distributed okay. Uh this is a player who is playing better than I expected of him. And I have to hold my hand up and say, I was really worried about this this transfer. I still am not saying that I'm prepared to say it, it looks great, but he's certainly trending towards someone who looks like a usable, functional part of our squad. I, I, I think maybe people are getting over their ski tips with the performance, but I'm curious where you stand on that. I mean, I know there are people that are going to say he deserves the praise. I will turn it over to you to determine whether you would like to bestow him with that.
3: Yeah, he deserves the praise. He, he deserves some praise. I I think again, it's a signing of where is how you walk in a room. <clears throat> These people weren't sure about this deal. I didn't know anything about his player before um, he came onto our radar. So the first thing I did was go to my friendly YouTube and I watched the World Club Cup final mm. when he literally when he marked in a back. I'm sure it's in a back three or or back four, but anyway, he marked Salah and I watched that game. I watched the whole ninety minutes and he was fantastic. And that is like top top Liverpool. They you know, World Club champions of Liverpool. You know, at the peak of their powers. And he managed him really well. Somebody that, who's got rapid pace. So immediately I was quite excited by him. And I thought, if you can do that with no pace, you've got to be smart positioning. You've got to know when to go tight. Know when to drop off early. Good player. And then he came in and got injured. his yeah. slow start. But the game that actually doubled down on it for me was the very first game after lockdown. I know he got injured within two or three minutes, so he was off after 20 minutes against Man City, but the fact he got picked, and he looked so senior, if you watch those 20 minutes, he was the leader of the back line. Right? And, and so, and everyone was giving him the ball, and he was pointing, I'm thinking, you're quite good. We lost him again. He's come in, and as soon as he comes in, he starts leading again. Right, mm-hmm. so... It's not just we can all see he's quite heavy legged. He's not super sharp. And Perma's um, hacker was pretty heavy legged and not super sharp. There's different ways of defending, and he seems to make other people feel comfortable, and that's a good thing. Well, right? so So when I look at him and Gabriel, I don't look at that side of the pitch anymore. He's 26. Gabriel's 22. We may have done something right here. We went 2 left footy centre halves. We've got him. I tend to look at Man City at the moment a lot. They've got four centre-backs. They've got Stones, um, Diaz, Laporte, and Nathan Ackie. They've got Nathan Aki and Laporte. They're two left-footed centre-backs. How much did they cost? Maybe Eighty, ninety million. 80, 90 million? Yeah, so I know it's hard to compare, but it's a good thing. to have two left-footed centre-backs. still got your build-up. Now you've got to get our two right-footed centre-backs. That's the key thing because all our right footers are going or should go, and we've got one out on loan, we're not sure about, or the manager's not sure about him, although he's looking quite good. And we've got Rob Holding. I think he just bombed Callum Chambers out of the club. If he signs that contract, so in my opinion, we need to decide what we do with Saliba, or we need to buy a first-level right footer in the back. But I've been quite impressed with him. And if, again, if you look at him, he leads, but he he pulls the line up. And I think a lot of what's happened in his last games when he's played is that a line is higher when he plays. You know, and I think he leads that. When David Luiz plays, I know Newcastle didn't come on to us, he didn't really show up too much in this game. You know my views, we drop away, particularly under stress, makes the pitch big, kills the midfield, kills our builder. So I do like Marie. I think he's brave. I think he's an underestimated good player. But my mind still likes Gabriel a bit more, but it's not a problem. Exactly what you want. Two good players for every position.
1: Yeah. I, I have to say, like, I, I'm i really torn because I, I think sometimes we are guilty of overrating mediocre players because they pull on the Arsenal shirt and aren't a complete calamity. And as a result of doing that, and I don't just mean fans, I mean the club even, we are now a mid-table club instead of a top-four club. And I... I'm not saying that necessarily in the context of Pablo Marie. I think Pablo Marie can still turn out to be a decent squad player for us. I don't know that he's going to be a you know a starting uh, central defender for us, although you know he could continue to develop and prove me wrong. Of course, I'm not saying the book is closed there, but like, do you, do you have a thought on this, Tim? Because the reason I bring it up is you know there's reporting from David Ornstein that Rob Holding has signed a new New deal. I'd love to know what the wages are on that. But again, it is a weird thing from we think he's off to Newcastle this summer. To he's now got a new deal. Now the new deal could be to protect the value and ultimately you say, We can still move him on and we might we might even do it in the summer. I, I don't certainly don't think that's what this is about. But I mean, do you do you have a feeling on where that balance is? You know, you you don't you don't want to just run people out of the club who have performed well for you, but you also want to make sure that you're not committing to the people that got you to the level you're at now. You know, to the people that, that make your ceiling eighth place. You want your ceiling to be as it turns out, the first place, the people that win the title. So, like, do you have a sense of, of where we are with that? I mean, Marie's certainly impressing a bit. Holding definitely has impressed me, but I have questions about whether these the, the, the talent level of these players is the direction we want to be going.
2: So, I, I think Holding and Marie... I, I I mean, with Holding, right, it depends on the conversation. If the conversation was, we see you as the starter for the next five years, here's a massive new contract, No. I suspect and hope the con- the conversation was more, we see you as one of our four or five. You know, Arteta's had a good look yeah. at the 20 centre-backs that we've got. He's decided who he wants and who he doesn't. Contracts have dictated that um, to, to a degree. Gabriel's brought in um, big money, 22. We know we're committed to him. Mari always made, um, the, as soon as we got Gabriel, Mari made a hell of a lot. Uh, uh, Mari did make sense to me. Um, and I went back and read the uh, the profile I, I wrote um, when we signed him on loan last January. And I said, my sense is that this is more of a, you know, ignoring the left footed thing. This is more of a like Mustafi Chambers replacement than like a Koscielny replacement. You know, this, this is a guy who I think is going to come in to provide backup. We signed Gabriel. Yep. Brilliant. Because they're, they're very, very similar. Mari and Gabriel. I think Mari's build, because he's built and he looks so lot, sorry, he doesn't look like Murtasaka, but his build is so murtasaka esque He's actually much more of a Kashelny type of defender. He's touch tight. He likes to, he comes out of his hole. He gets up the defender's backside. Um, he really covers that left-back spot well. That's exactly what he did at Flamengo. Flamengo played a high line. Their left-back was Felipe Luis, who for my money has been one of the best left-backs in Europe over the last decade. Hugely underrated. Hugely, hugely unfortunate to have played at the same time as Marcelo because he's mm-hmm. brilliant. Um, but, you know, he'd been playing for for Flamengo and he was you know, filling in at that left back spot while Felipe Luis is bombing forward. And, and I thought, okay, this, this makes some sense. Um, and then as soon as we bought Gabriel, I thought, yeah, this really makes sense because they're both so similar um, in, in terms of the type of defender they are. I, I do. I agree with Clive. I think, I think Gabriel's ceiling is higher. I do think Marie at the moment has got more of that serenity. I think Gabriel still lacks that, but I think that's, that's largely due to his age and hopefully he will get that. Eventually, but I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, brilliant, that's two centre backs on the left side who are really similar, who do like who do almost entirely the same job. So you can just, you know, you, you, you plug one in and plug one out and it doesn't affect it doesn't really impact your team. Mm. And, and so all, all of everything's on the right side, right? Because Socrates is a right sided defender. He's out. Luis is right sided, although he can play on the left. He's out. Staff is right-sided. We tried to offer him a new contract, remember? Um, and maybe that's important in the in the holding discussion. But for me, with holding, I, I think this makes sense, um, pr- provided that he hasn't been told, um, you're the starter, the new captain, here's loads and loads of money. They did like call I him an em- about,
1: emerging leader yeah, in the article, yeah. but who knows what that means, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. Basically, he's not a bad egg. Like, he comes in, he does his job, and... Um, And, you know, uh, I think that Arteta is dealing maybe with a little bit of a viper's nest in terms of the dressing room. Mm -hmm. There's lots of leaking and stuff. And look at... Again, I know all of these players are out of favour, but look at who they're getting rid of. They're really pushing to get rid of, um, you know, Mustafi, Kolasinac, Ozil, all of whom are very good friends. Like, it looks like Arteta's trying to weed out, understandably, maybe some some cliques. And, you know, he's spoken recently about when you've got players not playing, it means you've got players that are unhappy and he wants them out. Like, holding is, holding is not going to do that like holding mm. I, I think holding is is thinking would be thinking okay i want to fight for, like i think the right center back spot is up for grabs i'm playing at the moment i'm playing well yeah i'm gonna fight for it I, I don't get the sense he's been told it's yours i get the sense he's been told there's two spots there and one of them is yours and how well you play will dictate whether your first choice or second choice I think the other thing about holding that we should acknowledge by the way is um, maybe I've been, I still have questions. I don't have questions about him as a pure defender. I maybe have questions about the way he uses the ball, albeit I don't think he uses it badly, Um, but you know, he's not David Luiz um, in possession, but I, I think the thing we should say about holding now, or, or the thing that I've been thinking about holding, there are three separate occasions now where he's come into the team and had a run in the team and looked really good. There was the end of his first season where he came in, and, and to be fair, that was in a back three, but looked really good. We all loved him at that point. Hmm. There was that, um, that section of time under Unai Emery where he played yep. on the left-hand side of a back three, looked really, really good. Um, and actually, he was a big part of that team that, you know, went unbeaten for quite a long time. I know, the, you know, we've had that discussion about the underlying metrics, but that was a team that was winning games. He was in it. He got injured, came out. He, basically, the and then the shit show that ensued, like the end of Emery's first season, last season, he wasn't really a part of that. And now he's come back into the team. And don't get me wrong, he has been a part of this, like, <laughs> quite bad run until recently. But he's playing well again. And, and so that, that tells me there's, there's perhaps more to come from this player. He's had three spells, like good unbroken spells in the team, and he's looked really good mm. in all of them. And, and, and I do think that there is an extent to which you kind of should reward um players um you know he's come in he's he's played really well um we're told that arteta was the one who put the stop on the loan um to newcastle which actually at the time i thought was weird because i think louise got like a small injury at the time and i was thinking okay like louise is out for a few games but surely that doesn't necessitate that you that you stop um a player going out on loan, which which I think, maybe suggests. I
3: think also Tim, I think Mary had a bit of a complication on his yeah, injury. True. And that maybe maybe and obviously Saliba come back not quite right. So maybe they yeah, just did a reversal. Yeah.
2: yeah, so so for me holding um, you know, that that makes some sense to me. And he's twenty five this is not last big his next contract holding is his last, you know, big contract. And that's when you make really have to make the call. So we're protecting the value. He's homegrown, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's more, what happens with Saliba interests me because that says to me that there's, there's one more spot left in that, that defense. We've got the two left siders. We've got one right sider. Now I think chambers will go. So to me, it looks like the question is, does Saliba prove himself to be the right sided center back? And we yeah. brought that guy. Is it Ricky? Yep. From Berlin. I know he's gone into the under twenty threes, but that's that's another little citer um, mm-hmm. to me, um, and that 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 definitely ends Mavropanos as well. I think that signing. So, to to me, the question is more around Saliba than holding. It it is interesting because
1: I guess <laughs> look, tying up your your twenty five tying down your twenty five year old English players to contracts is probably never a bad move. It's probably not going to lock you into a bad situation unless they're terrible and Rob Holding is not terrible. It gives us some flexibility. He's certainly a sellable asset as he enters his prime by central defender age. I think he's more early prime than than you might say of like a winger or forward. So yeah, I don't I don't really have a problem with it. I think the issue for me is I just look at that core group Tim that you've outlined and I say, who's the elite center back? Who's the center back that we have that's going to step forward and be a star. I still think the jury's out on Gabriel not be not whether he's good or not but whether he has that that top level elite capability. I think you feel similarly. Um and and if I have spoken wrongly there, you certainly correct the record, but I think you've gone on record that we're still still seeing a little bit about what he's about, which you'd expect. Um, Rob Holding is not going to be super elite in my view. A good player. Pablo Murray not going to be super elite. The irony is, I think of all these players in terms of the way they were scouted and and what was said about them before they arrived or you know before we get to watch them, I thought Saliba was the one that we were kind of getting in on early because he had that that ceiling, that elite ceiling. We'll see how that plays out. So I just, you know, Clive has talked about our midfield and talking about how we had a lot of three-star hotels that now maybe look like two-star hotels in in some cases, I I kind of hope we aren't committing to a real uh, a quorum of three-star hotels in central defense as our our plan there. Um, you know, and, and it remains to be seen. I think a guy like Holding has done really really well, and what his ceiling is, you know, well, now we're probably going to get to find out. So the the last bit of this podcast has to be to praise the players who came on and changed the game, though, and and I I. You know what? I don't want to do a big Granite Shaka section. Not because I have an agenda against Granite Shaka. I just think, Clive, like, Granite Shaka came on and did Granite Shaka stuff. He pushed the ball forward. You know, he hit the ball with intention and authority forward towards players in the front line. And, like, what a difference that makes. It's a great ball to set up the second goal. He made a difference. There's absolutely no denying it. A little bit of progressiveness in central midfield goes a long, long way. And I just think Granite Shaka is. And was in this game what he's always been, which is a serviceable player who has some skills that really help the team and some liabilities that have held us back. And uh, I was happy to see him come on and play well. Certainly it's an audition for the place next to party because it's between him and Ceballos. In my view, it should probably just about be Ceballos. But if it winds up being Shaka, I won't be devastated about it. But I guess the thing I would just say is we're not learning anything new about this player, right? He came in, did the things we know he can do. And in this game, they were very valuable.
3: Yeah, I think, I think this weekend's been a real weekend for squad building. We've had a good look at a few people, and we're making some decisions in the transfer market, getting people out the door, signing on, holding. We haven't really got sentiment field sorted yet. The, the, the main addition, we haven't really seen him. Everyone else we've seen before, and you we know we've, they have good days and bad days. That's the basic truth of it, and there's nothing, there's nothing they're going to tell us. The difference was we could look at Shakira a different light because we had Joe Willock playing there, and Joe Willard does not understand how to do support line runs. It's as simple as that. He goes off into a different stratosphere. Whereas Shaka supports the line of the ball much better, supports the person who's going to receive the ball. He gets an angle to get it back off them to get the next run. And when he receives it, he's one two touch, third man run, kid, tierney, goal. Very, very, very simple. But it's all done in your preparation time before the ball gets to you. That's what he's much better at, because in the experienced international captain, that's played many, many times in that left-hand side of a double pivot. Really simple, and I thought he came on. And some days he really—he's a strange player, isn't he? Some days he does that. You think, "Quankey, ah, oh, stop." I'm starting to like him. Then he does a Burnley thing, right? Or he takes some down mm-hmm. the box, or he does something stupid. Every time you fall in love with him, he upset you, right? So, so I think we've seen everything from him. But much like um, Holding, I think there's a level to him. That level is acceptable when we're playing well. You know, I really think that. The reason why I think Holding maybe have got ahead of maybe the Chambers, unfortunate for Chambers injury-wise, but I think he's got the character to, to help a team in different phases. Grant shack has got the character. I don't think he's got this the high ceiling. If we want to get to where we want to get to, we need somebody different than him. I think it's in a major part of how we play. And so whereas Holding, we, we're we looking at Holding and we're thinking you're going to be third, fourth, centre-back if we find that elite right-sider. We may already have him, but we're not sure yet. But Granite Shaka, I'm not so sure he will settle for that role, for the Holding role, just due to who he is. He's a leader, he's a captain, he's a senior pro. He wants to play every week. My opinion, we need something different next to the party to go, to go on. Somebody that could make holding be protected a lot more and make those players do a lot better. So, this is a key, this is a more of a key decision for what we do going forward with Grant Shaka. And I really think it's key. I think it's a massively, massive decision for us because everything for me is around that midfield two stroke three, what that looks like. Yeah, I agree. And that, that player isn't here, it just isn't here. And we need to, you know, we're we talking about Enketio, we're talking about Joe Willock and Nelson. If we're going to scoop up funds, then I want to see it go on that position there as well as a creative position to get to the, to the real elite level we want to get to. You want we Basuma next on. to
1: Party is what you're
3: saying. <laughs> I like Basuma. I watched him yesterday, and I'll give you a bit of feedback. I watched him closely. And he's a true six. He wants to sit there. And I watched him, he switches on when... The other team are about to do something dangerous. So you want to play a 4 two, three, one, and you want Pesuma to cover your backs when the ball breaks down. Perfect. Perfect. You know, Tini goes off. I'm going to sit on the left half space and kill that position. I'm going to do the centre space and the left space. And same on the right-hand side. He's a killer in duels. But I don't think he actually goes and gets the ball enough. I think he's quite happy waiting for broken play. That may be what Brighton are demanding of him. But I looked at him and thought, yeah, you're good. You're really good. I think if we play a 4 2 3 1, you almost want two players that could do three man's jobs. That allows us to really carry a front four diamond with a four back joining, making it five, sometimes six people up front. You've got two people there to, to create your base. So I do like him. I don't think that's Granny Shaka, but well, Granny Shaka does a lot of good things. He does a lot of good things passing wise that Basuma hasn't got that range yet. So it's one to watch, but I'm looking forward to today when we develop past him. But it isn't there yet. And every time he keeps reminding us, I look at Sabias and I don't rate Sabias as much as I rate Shaka. I and mean, that isn't that much. And El Nenny, we know what we've got, right? And he's coming to last year and he'll be off in the summer. So it's what it is, mate. Just gotta watch that and see where we can scoop yeah. some funds up from behind the sofa.
1: I would say this about Shaka versus like an El Nanny, right? Shaq is a player who if you just want to look at the things he does well, he probably does them at a borderline elite level, like a definitely a top 4 team level, but it's his weaknesses that are a big big problem. The lack of mobility, you know, the the sometimes the brain dead giveaways, the, the sometimes the extra touch he needs the slowness moving it. But when you look at like his progressive passing or the way he, you know, plays it out to the wings and stuff, like he can be elite at certain things. Whereas with Nelneni, I don't know if his liabilities per se are as, as hurtful as Shaka's, he just doesn't do anything elite. He doesn't do anything that really helps you. He doesn't do anything that you would say, wow, what a difference maker there. So, a Shaka can be a good player if you can minimize the liabilities and emphasize the strong suits. The problem is, I think Party does the things at an elite level that Shaka does, and there can be a bit of a a duplication of roles there, and as you pointed out, when Shaka's in there, he wants to be the guy doing it. So,
3: Do you think they'll mix? Do you do, think they'll mix? I don't.
1: Think they mix? I don't. Uh, now, granted, Shaka does to the left, what Party does to the right, and maybe that really works. You have two players that can play similar. Um, you know, I think they they both have that pass out to the wing. That's a good one. I think Party can punch the passes to to Smith Rowe a little better than than Shaka and step into space and do some of those things. I just I feel that the problem with Shaka and Party is Shaka wants to be the hub of of the passing when he's in there, and uh, you know I, I think we have to sort of hand that the wheel over to to party if we're going to do that. We'll see. Um, So so then, look, I mean, the the goal that we get that, that wins the game, I mean, I know we get a second one, and, and it's great that Obamian gets that. It's good to see him get on the score sheet, and it's a typical Obamian goal, you know, a tap in from from a good run. But the goal that Smith-Rowe gets, I can't help it, Tim. Like, when I look at Smith-Rowe, what I see is the player we kind of hoped Willick would be early in the season when we were desperate for a guy to play between the lines but with a much better technical level, right? So we were saying, oh, get, get Willick in there. He can run into the box, second man run. He can score some goals, but he just can't pass, and he doesn't have the touch. He doesn't have the awareness. He, he does like to get into the box, and he can be a difference maker there, but Smithrow has all of it. He has the touch. He has the distribution. He has the awareness of space. This goal is a really, a really well-taken goal. I mean, the way he moves, the way he sets it up, the way he receives it off his chest, and the way he strikes it are all clean, good technique, I think a little credit for Lacazette deserved as well, who's really coming back to the force. So that goal for me, I mean, just highlighting again, the importance of Emil Smith is he for you becoming a player, maybe even more than Saka and Martinelli, not in terms of his quality, but in terms of where he plays and what he does there that we don't seem to have an alternative for.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, 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 and it is down to his quality as well. I, I know exactly what you mean. And I've said the same thing. It's it's just like someone doing that at a competent level has, has made such a such a difference. But I, I do think that that maybe downplays um the, the quality um, that he actually has of the, of the things he's doing. Like that goal against West Brom, for example, this goal. The, these aren't bog standard goals that guys are scoring all over the league. Um, and, you know, I've, I've said many times before I watched Smith row play in the under 18s and, and it was clear that he was head and shoulders above everybody. And um, the only players I've really ever seen be head and shoulders above everybody at at that age level is usually because they are literally head and shoulders above everyone, um and they have you know a couple of kilos uh, extra muscle. That wasn't the case with Smith row. Um, he wasn't he wasn't built any differently to everyone else. It was his technical level that was just so superior. And I think it's worth saying as well, when he came into the team two years ago, he threatened this, you know. Um, he got goals in the Europa League group stage, got goals in the League Cup group, uh, League Cup early rounds, mm-hmm. and that was when he was 18. And you know, you could see the talent was there, but obviously we haven't really seen it for two years for for reasons that everyone's familiar with. And and I just think with this goal as well, and again we spoke about this a bit on the instant reaction podcast and and Paul was saying as soon as that ball went to him, you know, he kind of sat forward a bit and so did I. And so did all. I think all of us did all of us thought it is weird, isn't it? That sixth sense you get for when a player brings a ball down and you think, yeah, he, he might do this. Actually, he looks in control here. Whereas when a chance like that falls to a Nelson or a Willock, you, you don't quite do that. And in fact, I'd say maybe a comparable chance in, in a different way fell to Nelson in the first half. And, you know, unfortunately um, I know it's, it's super harsh in, in terms of um, you know, in, in terms of it wasn't an awful, like it wasn't an absolute, it's not like he like he missed kicked the ball or anything. He mm. decided to take a touch when he shouldn't have. But it's yeah. like, sorry, this is the top level and those are the margins. Whereas when Smith Rowe, I think it's the way Smith Rowe moves as well. He moves so with with so much purpose that you kind of it it gives you a trust in him. Just out the corner of your eye when you see him move, you think. Yeah, give, give, give the ball to this guy because we, we often talk, don't we, about um, you can tell what senior players think of a young player by how often they give him the ball. But like, I think we underestimate how much time um, players actually have to think on the pitch. Like, I don't I don't think a player has time to go. Oh, yeah, that's Emile Smith Rowe. He's good. I'll pass him the ball. I think it's there's something in the like a player's stature and the way they move because you've only got a split second to make that decision when you're on the pitch. And, you know, when you've got to snap out a pass or like Lacazette's got to head the ball on or or you know clip the ball over the top, like you've only got a split second. And there there is something, um, you know, almost it, it is almost like a like a telepathy or a sixth sense. I think there is something like that in footballers where it's just like, Oh, this guy's moving and I can see the way he like he looks right. You know, it just it just looks right, this movement. Very much so. And, and and you get it as a fan as well you know you get it as a fan and and i don't know when it happens or how much football you have to watch for it to happen but you know um you know when someone has a shot or someone makes a movement and you think yeah this is this is going in or or and and cuz you get the opposite thing as well right you you know when someone's going to miss a chance like when tierney pulls that ball back to reece nelson i was thinking not sure about this and again when you (laughs) but when you look back it's like how I, i i think i thought that like i'm really really convinced i thought that but that's like in a quarter of a second and you don't really get time to process a clear thought like that but there's just something the way a player looks. I don't know whether it's their stance, the way they carry themselves, maybe it's just physically the way they move themselves, but you can just tell. And you can tell with Smith Rowe as well. And he he didn't get everything right in this game. There were there were times he tried to like move the ball round corners and it didn't quite come off. But but for me, give me the player that tries to pass the ball around the corner or flick the ball around the corner to get it forward and it doesn't quite come off and it's cleared rather than the guy who traps it and passes it backwards mm. um, you know and obviously you have to be judicious about exactly when you do that you can't just do it every single time but yeah he, he just he always looks like he's going to make something happen and, and I'm, I'm looking at the players we talk about um, because this is a new player in the team, right? And so whenever a new player comes in, you start to compare them to older players. There will come a point where Smith-Rowe plays enough games where we stop, um, you know, l- mentioning players like Rizitski or Ramsey or Ozil and we'll just say he's Smith-Rowe. Yeah. But, but you know, like we, we're talking about players like Ozil, like Rizitski, like Ramsey, all of whom are actually quite different, like Ramsey's the end products guy, Ozil's the creative guy, and he's got a bit of both of those in his game, and that's the thing I I, I felt quite keen to say in previous podcasts when we were talking up his his kind of his creative um, properties. This this guy runs into the box and he can finish, and uh, and yeah, that was a superb goal, and and it's it's in line with. I, I, I just on a very selfish personal level I'm, I'm always delighted when I look at a player at youth level and I think yeah this guy could make it and they do it, make, it makes my ego feel very nice
1: yeah I, and over on the by the way I, I'm always happy to, to help make your ego feel nice as well if you need if you need that if you need ego stroking hap, happy to do it for you um the so david hartrick came on the Patreon pod the smithrow uh, spotlight pod he's a uh, optus in-ground analyst for uh, huddersfield And the point he made is that there was a game where Smith Rowe was the man of the match, but he was still like despondent afterwards because he'd missed a couple of goal scoring chances and the coach had to actually like sort of talk him out of the funk because he was upset about missing the chance to score. Like you love hearing that, right? That he's he's got that mentality. He wants to score goals. And I you know, I think you can be a playmaker who only wants to create chances, but the ones that also want to get in the box and score goals themselves, I mean, that's that's another level. That's rare, and I, I think he can definitely do both. I guess, you know, look, you have to talk about character. Sometimes I think it says a lot about Obama Yang's desperation to get back among the goals and Tierney's character after 120 minutes in a cup tie. That's one, you know, here's Tierney busting a gut to overlap so we can slide a pass across to Obama Yang who's busting a gut to get in a position to score a goal. You know, at the very end of 120 minutes of football it says a lot about them. I think it says a lot about Obama-Yang wanting to get back among the goals and just Tierney's character and, and work rate in general. And, um, You know, Like I said, I don't think Arteta would have drawn it up that way, having them play 120 minutes, but that's how it worked, and and it's funny that they are there to finish the game uh, in style at the end. The last point I just want to make about this, though, Clive, is as we look at ESR, I have sort of an interesting, uh, trick-challenging question for you here. Not who's better, not who's the most important player, but among Saka, Martinelli, and Smith-Rowe, if you had to pick one right now who could play every league game, start every league game for the rest of the season, it would probably be Smith Rowe, wouldn't it? Just in terms of not having anyone who can add what he adds in the position he plays.
3: No, I I, I wouldn't quite agree with that. I I would go with Saka.
1: You'd still go with Saka. And, I, in terms think, of not again, uh, not talent, just in terms of whose whose involvement is most important to our success.
3: I, I, I still think Zachary. Okay, that no, player. that's a totally fair answer. I, yep. I think in the recent last four games, we've seen somebody come into that number 10 position and we've all felt rejuvenated by that extra player. And um, and it's been good. And I think Lacazette's also had a big part to play there. I think that combination has given that central zone a lift and it's connected us to our wide zones and, we, and we've done fine. I do think Martelli was the trigger for all of this. I do think Martelli first half against Man City was the guy that gave me some hope. You know, because he just came on and said, sod this, let's get going. And so I think he was a trigger, and then we sort of led, we led from there, as per se. Osaka, for me, is the real jewel. I think it's going to go really, really high, but hey, it doesn't really matter. I hope I'm wrong. I hope all three of them go high. You know what I mean? So um, I think on before, when Tim was talking, I couldn't help but feel it. I think when he was talking about why do you feel certain things as they're approaching the ball, and, and it's, it really is a technique, actually. It's a technique of stride pattern. When you watch Henry running on goal and he opens his body and gets his strike pattern right, slows, speeds up his feet, plants his standing foot there, you know he's going in. Bam Young, the same thing at the end of last season. If you watch Joe Willock run up to a ball, his strike pattern is is varied. And it's you're not too sure what's going to happen. He needs to slow down, calm down. We call it fire and ice. Calm down. Get your strike pattern right. Get your contact right. It's the details of your techniques, details of your body shape, details of your strike pattern standing foot in the right place mm. that leads to the contact and that's why when you say I'm not sure why but we all know it when you see it because it looks right you know what I mean and it's all in those we we do like lots of shooting drills and I always look at the stripe pattern I always tell people to focus on the stripe pattern whether they're adults or not the stripe pattern dictates it you can literally tell we do penalty drills you can tell when someone's going to score penalty based on their stripe pattern as they're approachable you can tell you can say go, miss go. it's all in that and I think some people have that naturally when they're confident. When they're not confident, that goes wrong. Wendy has scored a goal against Barnsley the other week. This is what convinced me that I'd love Arsenal to buy him. The long ball over the defence. And you watch him change his stride pattern as the ball was coming towards him. And he takes it first time on the volley. I thought, oh my God, you can see the flight. That's something you can't do. You can see the flight from miles away. Adjust your stripe pattern while the ball's in the air. And get perfect contact on the volley before it hits the floor. I'm thinking technically that's quality. You know I mean, when people have it, you know it. And I think Rowe has it, and I'm hope he continues because he's looking fantastic.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about him. I mean, uh, it, it's it's gonna get a little bit tedious listening to us praise Saka, uh, Smithrow, and hopefully Martinelli if he if he can stay fit. Uh, do we have an update on on? Martinelli, I haven't seen one on the ankle injury.
2: No, yeah, they said he's he's had a scan today, so we'll probably hear something tomorrow or Wednesday.
1: Yeah, and look, I'm not going to do the outrage thing about, oh, he's picked him in a FA Cup third-round tie, got to go, j-. I mean, look, he's bending down to get a ball and warm-up. It's a freak thing. You just The real issue with Martinelli is you just hope there's not a long-term durability concern there, right? Because that's... The only thing that looks like it could stop him from going to the top would be that. So let's just keep our fingers crossed that it's good news. I would suggest that at a very least, in terms of the left of the front three, we have we have options there. Um, you know, Saka can play there with Pepe on the right. Aubameyang can certainly play there with Pepe or Saka on the right. Um, I'm not not going to say I'm not worried about it, but I don't think that halts our progress if he's out for a bit. But we'll keep our fingers crossed. It's Crystal Palace, correct, on Thursday. Correct. Um, At the empty Emirates, for whatever that's worth. And uh, hopefully we just keep the good times rolling. I imagine he's going to want to pick the players we know he's going to pick. And maybe the big talking point now for the rest of the season is just how he manages the fixtures with the players that have have made themselves indispensable to this resurgence. Uh, But long may it continue. But yeah, we were always going to win this. It's the Arsenal Invitational. So, you know, what else was going to happen? In any event, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll have uh, pods throughout the week as we always do on the Patreon side. And then uh, another one for you here uh, after the game Thursday. So that'll probably show up on Friday, to be fair. In any event, that'll do it. No end of the pod banter since we covered it, I thought, quite brilliantly at the beginning. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive.
3: Thank you very much.
1: Did we... Am I mistaken or did we draw already... For the no, no, not no, not yet. It's coming up, right? It's, tonight, it's, it's, it's in about tonight, 15 yeah.
2: minutes. Oh, the time okay, time of recording, obviously.
1: So, those of you who've listened all the way to the end of the pod, the one or two of you, uh, you can shout at the device you're listening to who we drew, and uh, we won't hear you, so it won't help. In any event, <laughs> we'll talk about that on another pod. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, No... Snow-